Today is Pentecost Sunday. It's the day when the church remembers the great gift of the Holy Spirit, which you heard Carrie read a few moments ago, as recorded in the second chapter of Acts, the events in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, following Jesus' resurrection, when the Holy Spirit came upon those followers of Jesus. And I think it's appropriate today that as I continue my series of sermons on worship, we have to recognize that our ability to worship God, to recognize His presence with us is only because of the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so we want to continue with our worship series today. We looked at the meeting last week, uh, the meeting between Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well, an event which coincidentally turns out to be the lectionary gospel reading for today. We we read part of that uh, passage today. If you were here last week, you remember that when we looked at this passage, it starts out appearing that Jesus is going to make this a morality lesson. Because, as we just read, he points out to this woman when he invites her to bring her husband to talk to him. She says she doesn't have a husband, and Jesus says, that's right, but you've had five husbands, and the man you're with now is not your husband. It looks like this is going to be a teaching about morality, but it's not. It turns out not to be about moral conduct at all. Instead, Jesus uses that setting with the Samaritan woman to talk about worship, especially how the things that both the Jews and the Samaritans thought were important had nothing to do with true worship. It was not whether, like the Jews, you worshipped at the temple in Jerusalem, or like the Samaritans, you worship on Mount Gerizim in Samaria. And you will remember, or if you weren't here last week, Samaritans were sort of half-Jews. They had been the product of the Jews who had lived in the northern kingdom of Israel, who were conquered by the Assyrians and forced to intermarry. They had their own version of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. They had 11 commandments instead of 10. They were semi-Jewish, but they had their own ideas about worship. Jesus says whether you have the ideas of the Jews about worshiping Jerusalem or the Samaritans about worshiping on Mount Gerizim, all of those things are just externals. And what really matters about worship is what is internal. What matters, Jesus tells us, is that God wants people who worship him in spirit and in truth, which means with their whole hearts and with their minds, that they truly feel in their spirit the worship that they offer to God, and they're not just going through the motions because they think they need to, and it's what they think rightly about worship, that they're thoughtful and intentional about worshiping the one true God honestly and accurately. To worship in spirit, meaning with our heart, and in truth, with our minds. You see, like the Samaritan woman, most of us, if we think about worship at all, tend to think of it primarily as what we do, especially what we do with our bodies. Is our worship more true when we stand, or kneel, or raise our hands, or when we dress a certain way, or sing a certain kind of song, or when we have certain kinds of musical instruments? Do we worship more accurately when we dunk versus sprinkle in baptism, when we take communion by intinction versus common cup, or when we insist on using real wine rather than grape juice, and on and on. These are all externals. We fail to realize that as external things, Jesus was specifically making a point in this passage in in John 14 that true worship is not about the externals but rather what is happening in our hearts and in our minds when we come before the Lord in worship. Now, don't misunderstand me. We have to decide how we're going to do things when we gather for worship, based upon what we think is most important and most satisfying. And that varies from 
Baptists to Methodists to Catholics to Episcopalians, etc. And what we do with our physical bodies can affect what is happening inside us. When we kneel or when we raise our hands in worship, for instance, that may help us enter a place of worship in our hearts. But the act of kneeling or raising our hands or any of the rest of those external actions are not the real point. What's happening in our hearts and in our minds as an act of worship is the real point. The other things are only ways to assist us in that. So when Jesus says in John 14, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth, it would make no sense for Jesus to say we must do this, worship God in spirit and truth, unless we have the ability to make it happen. Do you see that? He would not have said we must do this unless we could do this. And so we have an obligation to focus our hearts and our minds into an attitude of worship when we come before God. Whether it's in a formal service like this on Sunday morning, or when we pray or worship God at home or in our car or wherever wherever else it is. So what about you? Where is your heart and your mind when you are here for worship? This morning or any Sunday morning? Where is your heart and your mind when you stand and sing? And I'm only talking about a few of you here. My Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine. Or when you don't participate in the responsive reading. Or in the Lord's Prayer. Now you may not be feeling well, there may be good reasons for that. But for many of us, I think the problem is we are not really experiencing the Lord's presence. And so we have no enthusiasm for it. But in fact, it may be that we need to have enthusiasm for it before we can experience the Lord's presence. Are we experiencing and enjoying God's presence in our heart? Are we focusing our heart and mind on God? In other words, are you worshiping God in spirit and in truth on Sunday morning or at other times as Jesus commanded us to, as he told us we must do? Or are you putting about the same amount of effort and focus into worship as when you plop down on your sofa to relax and watch Monday Night Football or your favorite soap opera? Is there a difference for you? You see, real worship requires some effort. It is not just entertainment. So you need to ask yourself if you make any real effort at all to focus your mind and your heart when you worship, or are you just here to be entertained? That you hope Preacher Ross comes up with a good message this week because, you know, his last few haven't been so great. Is that where your mind is? I think for most of us, the answer to the questions of whether or not we are really making an effort to focus our mind and our heart is very disappointing. But it makes all the difference in the world whether we are obedient, uh, in whether we are being obedient to Christ and how we experience God. If you feel like you are not having a satisfying relationship with God, perhaps it's because you are not focused on God enough in your heart and your mind. Perhaps it is because you are not really making the effort. You just come and sit back and let things wash over you. But if I say that we must focus our hearts and minds, we must make the effort, focusing is sometimes a difficult thing. How do we focus on God in our hearts and minds? You see, to focus on something requires that you have something to focus on. 
Something that can be in your heart and in your mind. Something you can concentrate on. So what should that be in worship? It's hard for us to say simply you must focus on God because God is spirit. He is invisible. We have never seen him. And it's hard to focus our minds on something that we have never seen. That's simply a fact. That is why icons, holy images of Jesus and the saints, have always been popular in Orthodox Christianity, that is Eastern Christianity. They are are a means in Orthodoxy to focus the thoughts and feelings toward God because they give a visual image that you can focus on. But we don't use icons. The Protestant Reformation, out of which our church comes, made a special point of connecting icon use with the dangers, at least, of sliding over into idol worship. So, if we don't use icons, what can and should we instead use to focus our attention and our energies on God when we worship? How can we have a focus on God when we do not see Him? Well, the answer is found in Scripture, and especially in the Psalms. The Psalms are the worship book of the ancient Hebrews, and for thousands of years, the 150 Psalms that we have have guided people in their worship. It is the songbook, the worship book of the of the Jewish people. So let's look at just one of those Psalms, Psalm 100, and see what it teaches us. Hear now this, which is the word of the Lord. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name, for the Lord is good and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. May God add His blessing to this reading of His Word. Here in Psalm 100... We are reminded at the beginning that we are to worship the Lord with gladness, to come before Him with joyful songs, because there's a reason we should do this. The Lord is God, it is He who made us, and we are His. In other words, we are to remember that God created us, and it is He who sustains us. He made us, and we are His. In fact, we are encouraged throughout all the Psalms to remember all the great acts of God in the past, especially that He created us, that He preserves us, and He redeems us, and that we should worship Him for these reasons. But we're also reminded here in Psalm 100, at the end of the Psalm, that God's love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. That's the reason we're told to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, to give him thanks and praise his name, because his great love and faithfulness continues into the future. All generations experience it. In other words, Psalm 100 is a good example that when we seek to worship God, we should look at what God has done in the past. We should worship him in remembrance. And we also need to worship him in anticipation, to look forward into the future of what he has promised to do for us, to give us. This is an example of how, while we cannot see God, we can focus on the things God has done, and in doing so, know much about God's character. What God has done in the past and what God will do in the future 
Through this we can begin to know God, focus on Him, and worship Him. We should look to the past in remembrance of the great deeds of God. We should look to the future with anticipation of the fulfillment of God's promises. Remembrance and anticipation, looking back and looking forward. Corporate Christian worship has always been about this remembrance and anticipation, about focusing our hearts and minds on the great deeds and the great promises of God, which reflect His character and show us what God is like, both past and future. When we look at what God has done and what He has promised He will do, then we have a glimpse of God. This 100th Psalm is one of only many places, not only in the Psalms, but throughout Scripture, that remind us that our worship should focus on what God has done in the past and will do in the future. Remembrance and anticipation. Another Psalm, just two before this one, Psalm 98, for instance, begins by remembering what God has done, by saying, Sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done marvelous things. His right hand and His holy arm has worked salvation. And Psalm 98 then ends, as Psalm 100 does, with anticipation of what God will yet do. It says, sing before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. He will, he will judge the earth in righteousness and the peoples with equity. You can go through the Psalms or even other passages that speak of God, and if you're looking for it, you will see over and over again the reference to what God has done that we need to thank and praise Him for and what He will do that we need to look forward to and praise Him for that as well. Perhaps nowhere in our worship can we recognize this remembrance of the past and anticipation of the future more than we set when we celebrate the sacrament of communion. When we share together at the table, when we share the bread and the cup of communion, we look back to the great sacrifice that Jesus made for us in giving His life, in breaking His body and shedding His blood on the cross and that He established that as an institution for us, for our sakes. But communion also is a looking forward to His return when He comes back in power. That's why in the words of institution we say this, As often as we eat this bread and drink this cup in faith, we eat the very body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, proclaiming His death until He comes again. <clears throat> looking back and looking forward is what we should focus on as we worship. And focusing is the key. We must focus on remembering what God has done, all the blessings He's given us in the past. When you worship, start by making the effort to remember what God has done, His all the cosmic acts that God has done for His people. Remember how God created the world in Genesis 1, how He called forth His people through Abraham how he kept his promises to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, how he raised up Moses to deliver the Israelites through the miracles of the Exodus, how he gave his people the law to guide them and then sent prophets to guide and correct them, and then eventually how God acted to send his son Jesus to die on behalf of all those who would receive him. <clears throat> Think about all these things as what God has done for the entire human race. <clears throat> and about how these acts of love and grace tell us what God is like and how faithful He is. And then remember all He has done for you specifically. It's not just about what God has done cosmically for all of humanity, but what has He done for you specifically? It was by God's will that you were born and that you had a family. 
that you came to a saving knowledge of Him, that you were given the skills to work and hobbies to enjoy and all the many blessings of your life. While sometimes life can be difficult, life is still good. And every good thing is a gift from a gracious and loving God. You can focus on all the goodness God has given you as a means to worship Him. Focus on all that God has done and then thank Him. Praise Him for the blessings that you have received, you and all of humanity. When you praise God, it's just like praising a person, a child, a spouse, a neighbor, a friend. You point out the great achievements, the good qualities, the things you love and that you admire. You focus on these things in someone else and you can focus on those things in God. You can recognize God's great achievements. You can thank Him for them. You can praise Him for them. You can appreciate for Him for all He has done and for who He is. So remember what God has done. And then also anticipate what God has promised to do. God is a faithful God. He has proven that down through the millennia. And he has promised that there is much he will yet fulfill for us. For example, in John 14, Jesus said, I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. This is a promise. And by anticipating the fulfillment of that promise, we can worship God for his grace in that and praise him for our ability to expect the fulfillment of that promise, that we will be with him for all eternity. So the point here is that worship must be internal. We must use our hearts and our minds. We must make the effort. True worship cannot be lazy. You cannot come here or enter any other place of worship or active worship and treat it like entertainment. Entertain me, Pastor. You have to make the effort. You have to be willing to focus on the God of the universe. Focus on the goodness of God. Focus on the great acts of God, both those things He has accomplished in the past and those He has promised to do in the future. Remembrance and anticipation. Looking back and looking forward. This will lead us into an attitude of worship if you make the effort to focus on those things. Thank God. Praise Him. Acknowledge that He alone is God. Only He could do all that He has already done. And only He can bring about all that He has promised to do in the future. He is a great and mighty and glorious and loving God who deserves our praise and worship. And only by focusing on those truths can we come into worship. So if we, you and I, will focus our hearts and minds on these things... We will find ourselves entering into, I believe, a new and more fulfilling experience of worship. And that worship, which is communion with God, it is relationship with God, is the primary thing that every human being really desires, whether they are consciously aware of it or not. We were made for a relationship with God. We have fallen from that relationship because of sin. Our sin has now been forgiven, but we still need to make the effort to make that relationship meaningful. So may God bless you as you seek to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Amen.